Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to, before we get into our teaching time this morning, uh, I just want to just start by uh, just sharing a couple prayer requests here. And uh, the one is, the first happens to be, if you were reading our email this morning, it went out this morning, you might have noticed that there was a little part in there about Sarah Burgess, our Director of Administration and Sunday Services. Director of Sunday Services, whatever. Sarah, you know who she is, right? Uh, Sarah hasn't been around for a little bit because Sarah's on leave right now. She's recovering from a back injury, and so we haven't had the opportunity to actually share it from this platform. We kind of snuck it into the email last week, um, but she's off for a little bit. Uh, she's recovering from a back injury, and I know she would love it if her, if you... She'd love the fact that you know this and we can be praying for her with this. Um, you know, as she's recovering, the journey, you know, still being figured out is what that's going to look like. And you might hear from Sarah a little bit. We might even see Sarah a little bit be, uh, as she is working her way towards a full recovery. But that's still kind of being sorted out. So there's a little bit of an ambiguity in this announcement. But just please be praying for her as she's working through this. It was quite a painful experience. It continues to be painful. And uh, we, would love, we would want to be praying for a full and total recovery for Sarah. Uh, also, there's more that goes with this. Uh, we've had this amazing intern named Annika who we hired last summer for the summer. And then we thought, you're great. We still need help. And so we said, why don't you stay for the fall? And then we got to the end of the fall. Is that for me? Oh. So you need me. So I need to hold a microphone and take this or take this off? <laughs> I'm going to take this off because this feels redundant and ridiculous. There you go. Can pray for our sound system. <laughs> you guys were probably back there giving me cues to pick up the mic down here, and I wasn't paying attention. Weren't? Well, okay. Well, we've had Annika. Annika has stayed on. She is uh, stayed on even this winter and has been doing an excellent job with our kids' ministry and in our uh, and helping out with student ministry. She's been the one providing amazing, ridiculous games over the course of this last year, and we've just loved having Annika as an intern. But all good things need to come to an end, and so at the end of this month, uh, in just a couple weeks, Annika's time as our intern is wrapping up. And so we're going to find ways to appreciate her, and uh, even I think the first Sunday in May, we're going to just have a little time for Annika after the service. Um, but... Having said that, I don't think she's going anywhere. I mean, she loves West Heights so much. I think she's going to keep volunteering, keep hanging out here until she's ready to go to the next thing, is, which is going to Bible college in the fall. So I'm sure she's got some summer plans. I know she has some summer plans, but she's going to hang out here a little bit, and that's great. Now, with one intern wrapping up, we this week thought, hey, you know what would be great? Let's hire another one. And so we hired another intern. I told this is a prayer, weird prayer request thing. So we hired another intern named Mariah. Mariah starts at the beginning of May, and we're excited to have Mariah helping us out with our, our children's ministries this year. And she'll be a part of the Flow Internship Program, which Melanie leads through our denomination. And we're excited to be able to invest in Mariah over the course of the spring and summer. And one more thing, I would, just as a reminder, we have a new staff member starting in May named uh, Alyssa Colnut. She'll be our new director of student ministries. She starts at the end of May, um, but she'll be showing up to visit our student ministries the first couple weeks uh, of, of May. And so we're excited to have Alyssa a part of our staff team. And so there's a lot of stuff that you can be praying for. You can be praying for the staff team. Uh, that would be great as we kind of are, are, you know, taking care of one of ours, saying goodbye to one, introducing a couple new ones. It's just a lot of transition, and, but, it's good, but there's some really good stuff happening, and so I invite you to be praying for us. All right, why don't we just pray right now, and then we'll get into our teaching time this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just the opportunity to worship. 
And Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to be surrounded by voices that are singing your praises, Lord, and that together we can be reminded of your goodness, we can be reminded of your love, we can be reminded of your mercy. Lord Jesus, thank you for all those things. And Lord, may, uh, may this experience together this morning attach those things to our hearts, Lord, that as we go into the week that is ahead, Lord, we would be mindful of you. Lord, this morning we want to pray particularly for those folks who aren't able to join us this morning, who might be able to be watching us online. Uh, God, would you be, uh, be meeting with them where they're at, Lord, in their living rooms, in their places of work, in the homes that they might be living, Lord. May they have a unique experience of your presence this morning, Lord, that is life-giving in all the right ways. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for uh, the people that we get to work with here. And Lord, this morning we want to pray for Sarah. We ask for her full healing, Lord, and we uh, just ask that you would take care of her. And we thank you for the gift that she has been to us. Uh, Lord, we would thank you for uh, Annika and for, Lord, all the ways that she's contributed to the life of this ministry. And, Lord, we are just excited for what comes next for her. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless her. And, Lord, as we prepare to, to welcome Mariah and Alyssa in just a few weeks' time, Lord, would you just help us to be a great place for them to land and for them to learn about what it means to be involved in ministry. And, Lord, may we be open to their influence and open to the gifts that you've given them. Lord Jesus, as we turn to our teaching time this morning, we ask that you would give us the ability to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the things about being somebody who stands in front of a large group of people on a regular basis is that when I get something like a haircut, people tend to notice. And last Thursday, the day before our Good Friday services, I got a haircut. And uh, people noticed all right? In fact, that was a talking point among some of you. Nobody, people didn't seem to notice that I tucked in my shirt for two, two services in a row, which I almost never do. Oh, you did. Okay, good. Uh, because the haircut was either that good or that bad. I don't know. I'm not going to tell myself it was that good, so you were all just like, whoa, look at him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the ego on that guy, eh? Um, but I got a haircut. Now, when I got that haircut that last week, I had a, a chatty stylist. And if you know anything about me, you know that this is not a good time. Um, but I had a chatty stylist, nonetheless, who said, hey, what are your plans for Easter weekend? It's a fair question, right? And so I sat there and I said, well, you know, I think we're going to do some stuff with family. And then after a moment, I thought, probably should mention something about church. And I said, oh, we're going to go to church. And I conveniently left out the part that I was a pastor, because that, that can go all sorts of ways. And so you kind of want to find out how their response to the church thing is first. And she didn't need any more prompting other than we were going to go to church, because it turns out she had thoughts. She had opinions about the Christians that she knew. And then at one point, she stopped cutting my hair. And I swear it was like 10 minutes where she just... It was probably like 30 seconds, but it felt like a long time where she was very loudly to everybody in, the, in this place was sharing her thoughts about the Christians that she knew. And basically, my side of the conversation was to say, hmm, interesting. I nodded my head when she wasn't trying to cut my hair. And, and she just had observations and frustrations and thoughts about the Christians that she knew. You know, as I've thought about this experience, I, I could see that while this woman had a basic awareness of Christians, she didn't know the story of Jesus, nor did she have a framework to understand why the Christians she knew did the things that they did. 
You know, what stood out to her was that their behavior was odd, maybe even a little wrong. And in her defense, there was one story that she shared with me that I thought to myself, that was weird. Like that, there was other things that I recognized that, that she shared about her friends that I'm thinking she just didn't have a framework to understand why we do the things that we do, why her friends be acted and behaved in the way that they did, because she didn't know much about Jesus or anything about Jesus and what it meant to follow him. And you know what? We know that she isn't alone. In fact, there is nothing about this exchange, about this conversation that was surprising to me. In fact, there was a whole lot of it that was fairly predictable. And while there may have been points in Canadian society when the story of Christianity was more commonly known and even accepted by large portions of society, that time isn't the time that we live in today. In fact, when we get out of our Christian circles, we, we may find that at best, folks are supportive, as in like, hey, if that works for you, good for you. Um, but more realistically, we might encounter people who are suspicious of us as Christians, or maybe even some people who are outright antagonistic when it comes to Jesus and his followers. But folks, there's nothing new about this reality. There's nothing new about this for followers of Jesus. In fact, the story of the church is rooted in the fact that it, it started in a society that at best looked at Christians with suspicion, but that suspicion at times led to periods of intense persecution. And throughout the history of the church, followers of Jesus have undergone the task of learning and relearning what does it mean to follow Jesus within this reality. And so starting today, we are going to be looking at the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter for the next eight or nine weeks. And 1 Peter is written to followers of Jesus during a time when they were facing various pressures from their neighbors, from their families, from society as a whole, because they were following Jesus. And this letter is written to help them understand and navigate the times in which they live. And so we're going to be looking at this over the next few weeks and, and, and looking for how it can connect with our story as followers of Jesus today. And so this morning, our big idea is that followers of Jesus can have hope despite the pressures we feel because of our faith. That's our big idea. Now, one of the things that we've been, uh, we've been talking about with our senior high students this winter and even into the spring is, is an approach to reading scripture uh, that goes like this. There's three questions, and the first question is, what does it say? And by this we mean, like, in our own words, can we summarize what it is that we read, a piece of scripture that we've read? What does it say? What does it mean? And by this we mean, what would have it meant to the first people who read this or heard this or experienced this? And what does it mean to me? And that's where we look at how does this connect with our own story? And so this is a fairly simple approach that, that can be used while reading scripture that, that we're going to use to organize our thoughts this morning in this teaching time. We won't necessarily use this same framework every week as we work through 1 Peter, but we're going to use it this morning. And so as we read the opening of 1 Peter, I would invite us to be thinking about how would we summarize the words that we're about to read this morning? How would we summarize that? And so let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Iglesia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be, be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can either never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, there's a lot of things going on in these verses. This is the opening of a letter, and so there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of dense stuff happening at the beginning, but there's a lot of things going on. But if I were to ask you this morning, how would you summarize that? Would there be a couple things that come to mind, a couple just things that, that pop out? I'm hoping that there would be. You know, if I were to summarize this this morning, I, I would say the following things. And you may have come up with some other observations, but I might make these observations. I might notice how followers of Jesus are being encouraged in these words. That followers of Jesus are assured that they can have hope. That followers of Jesus are being offered a new perspective on the hardships that they are enduring. And in everything, everything is, is rooted and attached to Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is resurrected. Now, that's just my attempt at, to try to summarize this reading without digging a whole lot into its meanings. And that, you know what, that's a great place for us to start with any piece of scripture, is how do, how do we summarize it? How would we say it in our own words? Behind our, our house, there is a, a well-used walking trail. Um, and a few nights ago, as we were eating dinner, I looked out the window and I saw somebody on the other side of our chain link fence on the walking tra trail. And they were just there. They'd stop moving. And from my perspective, sitting there at the dining room table, I couldn't see much other than that, that there was a person there and they weren't moving. And uh, I, I, didn't know what was, I didn't know what was actually happening, but my brain started to go. And as my brain started to go, I started to jump to a whole bunch of, of conclusions about what could be happening here. You know, they must obviously be doing something wrong, right? Why else would you stop like that? Uh, of course. Um, and they were, it looked like they were leaning against my fence, and so I started to think, well, they must be doing damage to my property because they're touching my fence, most clearly. That has to be what's happening. And then I went to a little bit more of a gracious place where I assumed that there must be some sort of medical emergency, that they were in distress. And all this stuff went through my mind very quickly, and all, none of them were based on any sort of fact other than that there was a human being on the other side of our fence. And so that went on, and I kind of mentioned it to Michelle, and Michelle, being the reasonable human being that she is, got up and actually went outside and stood on the deck, you know, being only 20 feet closer, and she was able to observe very easily that on the other side of the fence was just an older gentleman who stopped for a rest because we're at the top of a hill, and everybody needs to stop for a rest at the top of a hill, and he was just sitting there. He brought his own stool, and he was sitting there, and then when he was done, he got up and he just left. It's a very reasonable explanation for what was happening, isn't it? Like, very reasonable. And I didn't get there. Instead, I started to jump to all sorts of conclusions. You know, we all jump to conclusions sometimes. 
And while sometimes the conclusions we, we jump to can be correct, it's just as likely that we find out that we are off base, that maybe we've invented something that we shouldn't have, or we've invented something that's just not true. You know, as we read the Bible, we need to be aware of the fact that we can sometimes jump to conclusions about what we've just read. In fact, the, the, the temptation as we read through piece of scripture is to jump right to application. What does this mean for me? And skip over the question, what does it mean to those, or what does it mean to those who heard it first? See, when we jump to conclusions, when we jump right to application, we might be jumping to baseless conclusions. But in order to understand what a passage means for us, we need just to take a moment to reflect on how the first audience may have experienced this or may have, may, may have responded to what has been written, what we find written in Scripture. And we do so remembering that 1 Peter wasn't written to us. It wasn't. We, it didn't, doesn't say, dear Josh, at the top of this here. It wasn't written to me. It wasn't written to you. Yes, because God is involved in the writing of all of Scripture, uh, we can find meaning that applies to our lives, but we are not the original recipients of this letter. And so in order to appreciate it more, it's important to understand more about what was happening that led to this letter being written in the first place and how it would have spoken to the first people who got this letter. And so what is the situation of this letter, and who are the people that are a part of it? Well, let's start off briefly by looking at the people. First Peter is written by Peter to followers of Jesus who are scattered across a large territory that we know of as modern Turkey. You know, the beginning of verse 1 plainly says that this letter was from Peter. Peter, one of the 12 disciples who spent time with Jesus, who was commissioned by Jesus to carry out his ministry. And you know what? The idea that the Apostle Peter wrote this has been generally accepted for most of Christian history. I, I will just say as an acknowledgement, there are some folks who aren't sure if it, Peter actually penned this himself, but maybe somebody else did it on, on his behalf. But generally speaking, it is accepted that Peter, you know, this, this letter in some way, shape, or form originated from Peter's mind and has been sent out on his behalf. And now the people he wrote this letter to were first century Christians who were living in the Roman provinces of what is now modern day Turkey. And these are not the city centers of modern day Turkey. These are like the outskirts. And these Christians are scattered throughout this territory and at best were in small groups. But there certainly would have been folks who were living in isolation where they might have been the only Christian in their town or village or wherever they happened to be. And so they're, they're an isolated group. Now, why was 1 Peter written? Why did Peter even sit down to write this? Well, 1 Peter was written to Christians who were feeling pressured to walk away from their faith. In the first century, an association with Jesus and with Christianity didn't make somebody very popular. Uh, and in contrast, for a whole variety of reasons, Christians were viewed as being antisocial and subversive. And, and the result was that Christians were faced uh, attempts by those around them to fix them to make them respectable members of society again. Uh, and so stories spread that Christians were deviants and that they were bad members of society and they were shamed and bullied and, and, and marginalized in an attempt to change them, to bring them back to the proper way of life by their, by their friends and family and their neighbors. And in some cases, they were victims of physical violence. And so, as we can imagine here for a moment, in these circumstances, somebody might, jump, might start to question the value of their faith. You know, if you were experiencing this, you might find yourself saying, is it worth it? And so, to these folks, Peter starts out his letter by saying three things. 
The first is that Peter reminds them of their true, of their true identity. You know, when we know that people around us aren't supportive of who we are or the choices that we make or even our beliefs, the result can be that we start to question who we are and, and what makes us matter. You know, as we think about the circumstances of the Christians that Peter is writing to, they were hearing the stories that were circulating about them, about what kind of people they were and what kind of things that they did, and they may have started to, to feel tempted to buy into some of those negative narratives. Maybe I am not a very good person. But Peter starts by reminding them that they, that, that they are, uh, starts by reminding them about who they are and what makes them matter by talking about who God is. He anchors their identity in the fact that God is there and that God is the one who has chosen them and that God has chosen them for a purpose. That is who they are. That's what makes them matter. And it doesn't change based on the circumstances that they might find themselves in or based on what other people might think about, how other people might think about them. The second thing is that Peter tells them that Jesus is the source of their hope. You know, to people whose circumstances may have had them feeling vulnerable and maybe feeling uncertain about the future, Peter talks to them about hope, and he calls it a living hope which is his way of describing that this hope is not just a nice idea, it's not just a warm thought, it's not, just, it's not something that can come up hollow, but it's something that can be relied on day in and day out. See, because, uh, because of, of, of God and his character, they can have hope. It's based on who God is and what God is about. They can have hope because, you know what, God is for them. He's not against them. God is for them. And he points out to them how they, because, that God has provided a new life for them. And they can have hope because Jesus is alive. Indeed, just like Jesus was victorious in a situation that looked like defeat, so can Jesus' followers have hope that their circumstances that look like defeat aren't the end of the story. And in the midst of these circumstances that would have been hard, Peter tells them that this hope includes a promise of what he calls an inheritance. Now, in, in our time, an inheritance is something that, that might come our way one day. It's something that, that is there, and it might come to us. But in Jesus' day, there was more certainty attached to this. An inheritance was something that, that would, it would, would already, in a sense, belong to the person who would one day receive it. Think about, for a moment, the, the story of the, 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 of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son demanded his inheritance from his father because it already belonged to him. It was rightfully his. He just asked for it way ahead of schedule. He demanded it. It already belonged to him. The hope for Peter's audience was that despite their current circumstances, that God had secured, he'd, he, he'd already established an inheritance, something really good for Jesus' followers that they could look forward to. And in saying this, he is pointing out to these people who are facing real-time struggles that their current experience is not all that there is, that there is more to come. Now, lastly, Peter teaches them that they can think differently about their present circumstances. You know, for these Christians enduring hardship, enduring ridicule, even enduring suffering, it would have become easy to become really fixated on their current experience and maybe to even consider that their faith wasn't worth it. Well, Peter in this passage wants to give them an alternative way of thinking about their experience. 
And he talks about how despite their current experience that they can be joyful. Now I'll remind us that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes multiple times a day and, and is a result of what we are immediately experiencing. Whereas joy is something that runs deeper and can be present in our hearts and in our minds even when things are not immediately good. And so Peter is suggesting that joy is possible in hard circumstances for, for at least two reasons. The first is he points out that in the big picture, hardships won't last. You know, Jesus' followers can have this big picture view of life that goes beyond their immediate circumstances and extends into the life that is to come. To that time when, when God promises to wipe away every tear and make all things new. And the second thing is that Peter points out that their, their trials are not a wasted experience. You know, as terrible as some of these hardships were, Peter invites them to see how their faith has been made stronger and has had an opportunity to grow despite the hardship. And so to these Christians who are, are dealing with real hardships, Peter is reminding about who they are, about what they have to hope for, and he's giving them a new framework to see and to understand their experience. And all of this, all of this is rooted in Jesus. About a month ago, I, I decided that I needed new headphones. The old ones just weren't cutting it anymore. I needed to get some new headphones. And so I went online, and I began to research headphones. I put in, like, how much money I was willing to spend, you know, what, how I was going to use them. And it came up with a result of, of, of headphones that kind of met the specific specifications that I put in there. And so once I found a couple options that I thought, huh, I think this looked not too bad, the next phase of my research was to then go to the review section of the websites I was looking at. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to see how other real people, I wanted to find out how their experience of the headphones I was looking at, you know, how did it turn out? You know, when somebody actually used these things, did they work? Did they not work? Did they, like, as soon as you exposed them to water, did they melt? I don't know. I needed to find out. Now, why do we do this? Why do we care about what somebody who lives in completely different, a completely different life than us, who has, lives in different circumstances that might be different from our own, why do we think, why do we care about, you know, care about what they think about the product that we might buy? Well, it's because we know that even though our circumstances, our life circumstances may be different, that there's something about their experience that can help us learn something that might be helpful to us in our own lives. And in a way, this is kind of the task of reading Scripture. You know, we are looking at the experience of somebody else, and, and we're asking the question, what does this mean to me in an effort to discover there's anything there that we can learn, anything that we can learn from these other people's experience? And here's the thing, because we know and believe that the Holy Spirit is at work, we can feel confident that there's something here in this passage that speaks to us in our situation here today, just as this passage has spoken to Jesus' followers throughout history. Now, as we noticed, noted at the beginning of our time together this morning, we recognize that we live in a society that doesn't necessarily share our faith or our story as followers of Jesus. Now, our experience may not be as dire as it was for the Christians Peter was writing to, nor, as, nor the same as it is for some Christians in our world today where it's not safe to identify as a follower of Jesus. But this doesn't mean that the way of Jesus is the same as the way of our culture and the society that we live in. In fact, if we are committed to the way of Jesus, we might find that, like the folks that Peter was writing to, that there are times that the convictions we live by result in us feeling isolated and alone. 
We might find that there are times when we become aware that there are people in our lives that are critical about the decisions that we have made because we're trying to honor Jesus, that their perception of us is not what we would hope it would be. Or maybe we even encounter pressure or bully tactics to try to get us to conform to some sort of societal norm. And this might come from a particular person or, or, or a, a group of people, but it, it's something that can, we can also experience from societal forces like the media or cultural assumptions about how things are supposed to be. And so if you're feeling any of that this morning, we are invited to see that what Peter calls a living hope is not just a nice, a nice warm idea, but it's something that we can base our lives on. And so this morning, I want to end by talking about two things that are a part of our living hope. The first is that a living hope means that we understand that our current circumstances are not all that there is. Now, in saying this, we don't mean to say that, that our, our current lives don't matter or that there are things that we are doing right now that aren't important. I mean, we have family, we have friends, we have causes that get, we get excited about and things that, that bring us joy. And not all of these things are bad. In fact, some of these things are very, very good and we should understand them as gifts from God. But in this text, Peter invites us to hold in tension the reality that there is more to life than our current circumstances. That there's a life yet to come for Jesus' followers that is good. And so for those of us who are struggling right now, this hope is meant to inspire us to not give up when, when living lives of faith is hard. It, it reminds us that we have not been forgotten, that our experience of pain and frustration, it won't last. And it challenges us to not simply just to buy into what is easy, but rather to remember that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are uh, and something that's bigger than our current circumstances. Now, as a bit of an aside, for those of us who maybe aren't feeling like we're in that place of struggle this morning, we are likewise reminded that there's more to life than our current circumstances and that we shouldn't become fixated on what's right in front of us at the expense of the reality that there's more in store for Jesus' followers. You know, as followers of Jesus, we live in a tension between the now and the not yet. We are to live in and embrace that tension. The second thing is that a living hope means that we understand that even hardships can be used by God to grow good things. And in saying this, I don't think that Peter intends, intended for his audience or for us to pretend that, that sometimes things aren't hard or aren't painful. You know, sometimes, uh, you, you, sometimes life just sucks. Let's just name it. Sometimes life is, is hard. Sometimes life is painful. Sometimes we experience things that we don't want to experience. And in saying this, you know, this point here, we're not supposed to pretend that life is good and hunky-dory when it's really not. That's not the case. But as we experience these, high, these hard things, we are invited to see how God's redemption story works. See, God does not cause our suffering nor cause the opposition that we might experience at the hands of others. But what God does do is God does transform it and God does redeem things that seem ugly and, and evil. And he can bring about something that is very, very good as a result. You know, sometimes when we are struggling, we can find ourselves just wanting to give up. You know, why keep going if something is as hard as it is? But Peter here challenges us to persevere and to look for how God can bring about something good and beautiful like faith and joy out of something that seems so messy. You know, when we talk about hope, hope can 
sometimes just seem like a nice idea, right? It can kind of seem hollow and impractical, just the way it gets talked about, especially when we come face to face with real life. And you know what? Some of us might be thinking that this morning. Like, this is a nice idea, but does it work, really? Peter here wants, us to, sh- wants to share a different perspective on hope. And I think it's important to realize, again, go back to who Peter is. You know, here we have someone who had spent time with Jesus, but whose faith wavered when things got hard. And when things got really bad and when Jesus crucif- was crucified, he disappeared. And the assumption, and probably his assumption, would have been, you know what, this is the end of the story. Jesus is dead, my faith is gone, that's it. And yet, he witnessed the impossible happen. He witnessed the empty tomb. He saw Jesus suddenly appear as he met with the other disciples. He ate a meal with Jesus sitting beside the Sea of Galilee. And he had uh, an experience with Jesus where instead of Jesus like, giving, him the, you know, giving it to him for, for failing him, Jesus instead restores, uh, forgives Peter and, and restores him and says, Hey, now I've got a mission for you. Go and do it. You know, for Peter, he knows that there is more to, 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 there's just more. There's more to life. There is, there is so much more than what our immediate circumstances are, and, he, and it's rooted in the fact that Jesus is not dead, but Jesus is alive. And so for us this morning, we are invited to consider what does it mean to have a living hope that is based on the fact that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is the one who's able to redeem our circumstances and to grow good things out of messy situations. Please join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. And Lord, we're thankful for how you are the God who brings about good things, who redeems uh, messy situations and situations that we might hope that could be avoided, Lord, that somehow you bring about stuff that is good. Lord, that is hard sometimes to, to hold on to. And yet, Lord, this morning we are invited to trust you. We are invited to look to you and see that you are a constant. Lord, that you, uh, that you Lord, can be the source of, of hope. And God, as we seek to follow you, as we seek to, to figure out how do we live lives of faith among our friends and our, and our families and our neighbors and our coworkers and our people, at, our friends at school who perhaps don't know you and know much about you and think that maybe you're a little bit odd, God, would you help us to be able to navigate this trusting that, Lord, you are, are with us and, Lord, that you have good things in store for us. Lord, help us to live in this place of tension. Lord, as we explore this over the next few weeks, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to, to just help our imaginations be uh, inspired to, um, to see how you are at work and, Lord, how you can use us. In your name we pray. Amen.